Hello, Sobertown, and welcome to the Sobertown podcast. Myself and Karina. Hi, Karina. Hi. This is Polly. We are on the train again with our cups of tea, and we're just going to do a little off-the-cuff one today and discuss a few things because we are both tired. We've had pretty busy weeks, um, and we're a little... Looking forward to a Sunday afternoon with the feet up, I think, and just gathering our thoughts ready for the start of a new week. So we've got a few things we want to talk about. Um, Nothing major, just us having a little chin wag, as we say in the UK. Um, If you can imagine a couple of old ladies talking over the fence, leaning on the fence with their cups of tea, having a chat, that's Karina and I, but we're on a tray. Anyway... One thing, <laughs> we've both gone through uh, the mill this week. I've had uh, an injection in my eye, which uh, it's uh, still not right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're sore. <laughs> it's, the eye itself is not sore, but it's ugly looking. And also I had uh, to take, in between it all, I had to take my husband to hospital. But he's home. He's doing all right. And we will just... Get him through each day and myself one day at a time, like the journey we're on with our sobriety, one day at a time. Um, but there was something occurred this week and it really it really motivated you or fired you up um, in that you reached out to several people because there was something that really disturbed you. Do you want to talk about that for a minute? Um yeah, so I mean, I'm, you've had a really busy week. I've had a bit of that melancholy, melancholy <laughs> week that we spoke about last week. Um, so with that, what I've done is sat. I've spent quite a bit of time sitting and listening and um, reading a lot of blog posts and that because they're very, very helpful. And I think even when we post stuff, we don't always realise that we're triggering helping other people. And so one of the things I think it was Monday, I think, or Tuesday, I just literally sat and listened to the Sabretown podcast. And I listened to um, Tea Lovers podcast. And, yeah, I had a bit of an epiphany because she's um, 17 years younger than me. And the UK that she was talking about, the alcohol and the, the growing up with it, um, was exactly the same as the UK that I'd grown up in 17 years previous to her. Um, And I presume it continues 17 years after her. And I know for a fact now it is also um, the the situation. And, you know, one of the the good things about lockdown is we haven't had our streets literally littered with semi-conscious and unconscious teenagers laying all over the floor in comatose, drunken stupors, um, which unfortunately is the norm. Um, um, yes, yeah, uh, I was just going to say, my son lives on a main road that actually leads from the centre of town. And at three o'clock, 3am probably, on Saturday and Sunday mornings, he literally watches people just stagger all over the place mm. into the middle of the road where there's traffic into buildings they knock themselves and they and some of the worst he says and i've seen it myself and you've probably seen it and i am sorry to say this but some of the worst sights are the young ladies mm. 
Yeah, and and it's it's very sad to see because, um, you know, you what what they don't understand is that when you get into that state, you have no control. You feel drunk for a reason. You feel drunk because of the chemical and emotional change that chemical, you know, that that alcohol is making to your body, and you know. Perhaps fortunately for some of them, they can't remember what they did the night before. But unfortunately, they don't also because it might stop them doing it again. Um, but one of the things that struck me was there is never an understanding. I am 57. Um, it is only when I picked up and, and 37 years mental health nursing. But it was only when I picked up the Annie Grace, this Naked Mind book, um, some seven months ago that I actually started to understand the hard truth of alcohol. Um, and there were campaigns when I was growing, well, actually when I'd left school, there was campaigns called the Just Say No campaign. And I, I understand through my research this week that you have the dare yes. over there. Um, and, but none of this to actually teach you, it, you know, we're telling kids to just say no. What they're saying no to, we're not actually telling them or teaching them the realities um, you know, what they're still seeing is they're seeing police or teachers or mums telling them to say no. And then they're seeing the great big luscious adverts out there aimed at them, like the alcohol pop, you know, aimed specifically at them, um, um, luring them in. And I think if you, when, when you listen to T's uh, podcast, which was just, oh, heart-wrenching in parts. Mm. Um, she talks about the alcohol, alcohol pops, lovely sweet yeah. drinks that just suck them in, and that's the whole point of those drinks. Yeah, they exactly. they've got a fizzy poppy flavor flavor, and you, you you're aiming at um, teenagers who are so confused about who they want to be, what they mm-hmm. want to be. They're going through all these emotional hormonal changes, and you're yeah. throwing all this stuff at them and expecting them to act like an adult. Yeah. And, and targeting, they're targeting them at the time of their identity crisis. You yeah. know, we know that, you know, 60, probably even earlier now, actually, but when I was growing up, sort of 16, 17, 18, with your identity crisis, start pulling towards your peers, you get that tug of war between your parents and your upbringing and your peers and what, what you're doing. But what I sort of kind of realised was that actually we're not giving them the information to make an informed choice. They don't have the, the, the true information. So, so what I've sort of kind of got my, in my pipe at the moment, on my bandwagon at the moment, is to look at um, trying to um, develop just like something like a two-hour presentation um, that get passed and, and presented in schools to aiming sort of 12 to 13-year-old, that sort of year group, um, but rather than it being presented by teachers, mums, police, etc., to be presented, yeah, authority figures to be presented by people like us that got lured in, that have been there, that have done it, that can tell the stories and and tell the difference between you know, and tell them some of the horror stories. You know, start off with all the pictures of the people littering the streets. You know, on a Saturday and some you know Saturday, Thursday, Friday, whatever. And, you know, getting them perhaps to look at things like what do they do now? What do they enjoy now? And realising if they change to the alcohol, all what they enjoy now is going to be blown out of the water. That's all going to go. Years ago, I mean, before I came to the States, one of my jobs um, was working in um, 
family planning. And here they call it Planned Parenthood. And the morning after pill was in, was brought in for a specific reason. Mm, yeah. And it's sad um, because, and I'm going to speak as a woman, when we are drunk, we are extremely vulnerable, extremely vulnerable. We've taken away all our defense mechanisms. Mm. Um, we've taken we've taken off our glasses, sort of thing, and we don't see the danger because we've drunk so much. We have suppressed everything within our mind. There's no fear. There's no sense of danger. There's just no sense of anything. And it well, even guys as well make themselves extremely vulnerable to yeah. uh, to being um, accosted, beaten up, etc. And I I didn't drink when I was young. I drank when I was older. But it just goes to show that even when you're older, you can still get sucked into this lifestyle of mm. alcohol. But like yeah. I said, I think if, if, if they're younger and they can be informed by people who can really tell them what this is like. And the one thing about the Annie Grace book I like is she is not someone who's just spouting information. She is a woman who has fought for sobriety. She's talking from a place where she did her research into getting sober. Yeah. So everything about that book is, is from someone who has fought for sobriety. Mm-hmm. But it's very factual and it tells the hard, hard truth about, about alcohol and about the facts and, um, you know, and I just think it's really important for for there to be a voice for the youngsters, for for people, for them to be hearing the truth and the facts at a young age, so that when it gets to that point that you know they see all the advertising and that, and they've got that sort of peer group pressure, and they're going through their identity crisis, they have got the correct information to make an informed choice. I mean, I was horrified a couple of weeks ago leading up to Easter, and I know um, some of my, my UK friends were as well, and we walked into Tesco's. Now, usually coming up to Easter, you walk into Tesco's, the first aisle on the right as you come in is full of Easter eggs. Um, but no, this time it was full of alcohol. It was completely full of drink for an April's drink festival. I've never heard of an April drink festival, including all the alcohol pops. You know, now it was nearly Easter. At Easter time, we have Easter eggs there, but they had all gone to be replaced by this horrible, poisonous candy in bottles it- that's sucking them in. Well, I mean, when you read about uh, what alcohol is, it really is ethanol that they mm. have uh, flavoured and sweetened. And because if you were to drink pure ethanol, you well, you'd kill yourself, which you know uh, no one would do. Would you stand at the gas station with a gas pump and just say, "Oh, I need a drink," and just put the gas pump in your mouth? No, you wouldn't, because it would a the the taste would. Bleh, you couldn't swallow it. B, it would kill you. So in order to make it palatable, they um, a lot of it's flavoured, sugar mm-hmm. to make it sweet, fermented. You know, and that one, yeah. that one part of the book that talked about the ethanol, that really hit me 
in the Annie Grace book when she was talking about the ethanol and how they, you know, how they, how they make it so that it's palatable. And here's a woman who works in marketing mm. and talks about how alcohol is marketed. Um, and, and this is, I think, I don't know that we'll ever get away from the marketing of alcohol, but like you say, if you can get in and give people information so they're informed and can make a decent decision, yeah. Well, when we look at capacity, you know, and, and this is coming back to when, when we're drunk as well, we have yeah. to assume that if people have had a drink, they do not have capacity. You know, I know in the usual world, we we take it that everybody has capacity unless we feel they, there is a reason not to. Alcohol is a reason for them not to have capacity. But when we look at capacity of making decisions, we look at the fact that somebody is able to understand what you're saying is able to retain that information, is able to make an informed, uh, make a decision, even if it's not necessarily a wise one, and can communicate what their decision is. That's capacity. Mm -hmm. So we're expecting people or kids growing up in this world, how can they make a choice? Because we're not giving them that information in the first place. We're not giving them the information for them to retain and make a, an informed choice. All we're giving them is lots of peer pressure, lots of advertising and, and even parental role modelling. I was there. I've done it for 22 years with my son. You know, I'm, and I feel ashamed of it. And, you know, because of that, I am so, so passionate of working with, yeah, I, I was really passionate of working with parents who yeah. have young children so that they don't look get to them being 24 and looking back and thinking, oh, I wasted 22 years of, of their life. And, and then it kind of flicks more to, well, actually, let's take that further. Why don't we start doing some stuff with, with the kids or the, the teenagers, you know, that are coming in 12, 13 year olds. So they can have some information that is not out there at the moment for them. There used to always be drink drive campaigns around holiday times. Mm. Um, not being in the UK at the moment. Um, I don't know if they still do the, the drink drive campaign, but it's, it was only ever usually at Christmas and New Year. Yeah. And yes. Drinking goes on all the time. So why not have the drink drive campaign? We've had all the texting and driving. Mm. Had the say no, but I think that the, the thoughts around and the conception of that one is that it's about drugs. They don't associate it with alcohol. The just no campaign is people think mostly of drugs, not of alcohol. Yeah. Um, and like you say, what are you saying no to? Hmm. You know, they haven't been informed what alcohol is, the dangers of alcohol, um, how vulnerable they make themselves when they've been drinking alcohol. Yeah. What it does to the whole body. And it's not just the brain, it's the whole body mm -hmm. suffers from it. Because mm -hmm. when you think it's pumped around your body through the bloodstream, well, guess what? The blood goes from your brain all the way to your toes. You mm. know, so it gets pumped around your body. So I think it needs to be a, um, a campaign aimed at specifically alcohol and yeah. all things alcohol related. Yeah. Because when, when, 
Yeah, because when you say what they're saying no to, what they see that they're saying no to at the moment is fun. Mm-hmm. Getting bladdered and having fun. That's what they see alcohol as, you know. People cannot wait to be able to have their first drink over here. You know, I can't wait to be old enough to go in a pub. I mean, I remember Jack turning 18. He couldn't wait to sort of actually go into a pub and legally buy a drink, you know, just because mm-hmm. it was an age thing. Okay, we're back. Uh, we had a little blip. I'm sorry. We, um, I need to make it known. I am in the US and Karina is in the UK. <laughs> so this is a very long train carriage. <laughs> so, With a fantastic buffet uh, car in between. We occasionally have a little blip in our systems. <laughs> so, I get more than one blip in my system at my age, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it that. Uh, back to our story, uh, not a story, actually. Sorry, Paula. Um, getting back to what we were saying, you saying about your son wanting to get into the pub at eight, couldn't wait to get in the pub of eight t- at 18. We are teaching these kids that it's a rite of passage. Yeah, it's, it's a done thing. You're 18, you go and buy your first beer. Your 18th birthday, everyone brings you beers, you know, and, and, and bottles of champagne. And, um, and until that point, what children are doing from the age of sort of 13, 14 upwards is just drinking on the streets, as I did, you know, back in the 1970s. And this hasn't changed. If anything, it's got worse and just a lot more in your face. It's a lot more obvious. Um, and, and, you know, kids, we used to drink cider or cheap beer. Kids nowadays, 14, 15-year-olds and that, they're drinking bottles of JD and vodka and... You know, they're drinking hard spirits. I hard think spirits. because, yeah, it's, it's more accessible. It's so much more accessible. And like you said about going into the supermarket at Easter, and the first thing you see is a whole row of alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, how many times do you go in a supermarket nowadays and someone's got a bag of apples and a, a, a cart and a beer? Yes. That's great. That's what's in their shopping cart is the alcohol. That's the first thing that's gone in their shopping cart. It's scary. It, I mean, and I used to do it. Yeah. I'm not condemning them because it was something I did. Because I yeah. would go into the supermarket, make a right turn into the wine aisle and think, hmm, what am I having today? Mm. You know, and then I would go and think about, oh, well, what groceries do I need? That was yeah. an afterthought. The alcohol was the first thought. But it's just since it was put into the supermarkets, because it never used to be in supermarkets, you either went to the pub or you could go to the off-license where you were checked. You weren't allowed to the door of an off-license. People would bribe someone going in the door. Someone Mm. underage would bribe someone going into the door of the off-license and say, can you get me a bottle of cider? You know, or something like that. Um, But now it's just so accessible. It's everywhere. I'm thinking about it. Mostly our, our alcohol aisles are right at the end of the supermarket. Mm-hmm. So you walk down the supermarket and they're right in the very last aisle, furthest away from the doors. And um, over recent years, I'm just sort of thinking about this now, actually, over recent years, I've noticed they'll suddenly have some wines on special offer. And then they'll be at the end of the meat section, but just on a little bit at the counter. Yeah. So I'm wondering if legally they are supposed to be at the end of the stores, but if they promote things, they can put it throughout the shop because now it has progressed, actually in April, to this drinks festival of having it in the whole first row. 
which oh, which it never usually is. So I think there may be some loophole, perhaps. I'll have to look more into this, but my, my thinking through it now at this moment as we talk is, well, perhaps legally it has to be at the end of the shop, but there's some sort of loophole that you can do special offers anywhere in the store, and that's what they're, they're looping into. worth looking into. Um, mm. Because, yeah, I... Um, you can go in many supermarkets, even over here. And at the end of one of the aisles, there's a, a, a special display of, of wines that are on offer. Yeah. Um, it doesn't bother me. Um, I, I'm i not bothered about it anymore. It just, it's not anything I want to take notice of. Um, but I think getting the education into the, the younger minds, I mean, the only way it's going to make an impact is excuse my French if it scares the shit out of them mm. because that way it will stick in their mind if, if and like like we say it, it needs to be someone who knows what they're talking about because they've been there yeah I mean how many people do we know who will say to someone who's trying to give them advice well have you done this if they say well no and they say well how can you give me advice on something you know nothing about mm. Are we saying yeah. that these teachers, um, that these are all alcoholics? No, we're not. They've seen the aftermath, the police have. Yeah. They've seen the aftermath of um, police, fire, ambulance. These are the people that have seen the aftermath of drink. Yeah. And a lot of them will, will be drinkers. You know, I've, I've yes. worked in the service for, for many years and um, a lot of nurses, a lot of, you know, we, we, we are drinkers, you know, it's how you unwind, it's what you, you do to go home and forget all the things that you've seen that day, you block it all out so you can get a good night's sleep and, you know, and I, it, it's, I, I think if we were to get this developed and rolled out across the, the UK, I'd be looking at initially at any other country that wanted to take that on mm -hmm. um, but you know to start off getting it rolled out here there's no you know it'd be fine for police and ambulance people to go and do it so, so long as they have had a problem or, and are overcoming a problem you know I could get my dentist to go and do it I, I said to my dentist the other day about my grinding because I had sort of you know terrible grinding since I said to my eight months saber well I said seven months at the time and he said, oh, congratulations, I'm 19 years sober. You know, he's a dentist, he's professional. He, he could go and give these talks to people, you know, to the kids. And let the kids see that it happens. It's not the tramp under the bridge. It's not the delinquent teenager that it happens to. It, it's not the naughty boys and the naughty girls that get hooked on this stuff. It is real life people. Real life people are out there working, have good jobs, but have had an addiction to an addictive substance. Well, we've got on the pod, on the um, Sobertown website, mm. we've got um, Todd, professional, very an, a young man who would probably be able to appeal to younger people mm. because of his age. And at his young age, he has decided that he has a problem with alcohol and it's now out of his life. Yeah. And he's, he's, he's done some marvellous work on our website because you, myself, um, Drifter, Elaine and Todd are involved in this website and with the podcasts because to us, we're only, 
we're not, you and I are, well, you're a professional nurse. I'm just a professional person. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not not professional. I think maybe I'm professional at life. Who knows? We were professional. We were professional drinkers, and now we're getting now, cooked, now we're getting good at sobriety. Yeah. I said to someone yesterday, um, "I am an Olympic gold medalist at alcohol, <laughs> but not anymore." Um, and I'm now a gardening enthusiast, and I love it. I absolutely love it. Uh, but no, I mean, the, these are Elaine and Todd are two professionals, younger. Much, much younger than I am. Um, and even you're much, much younger than I am. And not much, much, Polly. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Not, not much, much. Yes, <laughs> much, 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 much younger. Um, I think I'm about the old granny of the I Am Sober app. <laughs> no, I was saying I that I was not. I was saying that I'm not much, much younger. Not that I am. <laughs> I'm on your, I'm on your tail. <laughs> uh, you got a bit to go, sweetheart. You got a bit to go. But um, no, um, I forgot where we were. Now that's it. Old age is. We're saying about Todd, about yeah. Todd and Lay being young professionals um, who yeah. now openly admitted and and coming on a podcast like we did. And talking about the journey and how the addiction happened and how, you know, what stage we got ourselves to. Mm. These are the people that can relate, that these youngsters can relate to. Um, yeah. Younger people coming into sobriety. You and I have got some women's groups going, wow, that thing is going gangbusters. Oh, God. Gosh, yeah. Yeah, I think I... I, um, I I think I sent a link to about six ladies in one day the other day, um, which yes. is just amazing, absolutely yeah. amazing. And what's so amazing is these people are reaching out. Mm. We are giving back by reaching out to them and giving them a hand. And these groups are now starting to manage themselves, which is yeah. wonderful because they're each these ladies are supporting each other, which is is a beautiful thing. Um, but as Karina said, educating the younger generations is becoming an important, becoming important to us um, because we know what the um, dependency for alcohol is like. We know how it destroys, well, practically destroys your life. You have no life. You sort of, I was, I was talking to someone and I said, when I was, Deep in my alcohol, my life was grey. Mm-hmm. Now that I am out of that, I see the world in technicolor. Yeah, and it's a beautiful I, place. Yeah, I talk in rainbows a lot. Ever since I started this journey, you know, it's that it's a rainbow journey. <laughs> um, it is, and and people think, nice. oh god, they're romancing it, but. Mm-hmm. Take it from us. We are not romancing this. This is true. No. It's like to be alive. Um, yeah. What a, I'm going to talk about um, our women's groups for a little bit because to us, this is our heart as well. Is these women's yeah. groups? Um, I can't remember how many women we have got now 
we've got is it six groups or seven groups six. we've got six groups um with at least six in in each and one of them's quite a big group isn't it? so i reckon about yeah, between 40 between 40 and 50 women i think yeah yeah and it just goes to show that um makes you wonder if the women are the forgotten ones in amongst um the 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 information out there there are more and more women's groups starting and there are more there is more and more information for women but i think it's just specifically female groups where females support females yeah i'm not saying the men don't need support they do um but it's a different kind of support and like you said about your young mothers you know there are some some women um, with young children who they hate themselves because of their drinking and their children are seeing it and mm. Mm. they don't want that in their lives, but they don't know how to get away from it. Um, no. And this is where you and I feel passionately that, that, that we can give back, which is what we're doing now, actually, we're giving back. And we've got the app. We've, we've got our I Am Sober app. But there's also the uh, SoberTownPodcast.com website. And on that website, um, like we said in the previous section segment, we talked about Todd, um, lovely young man from Australia, who's done so much research as well. And um, I encourage anybody to go to that website and read the blogs that he has put. Because yeah. that, those blogs that he has put up, um, they are so informative. Um, he talks about your, the brain. Um, oh, his first one just had me in, yeah, in tears. Yeah, and and I think you know one of the things is as I was saying earlier, it's really important to to get out there, read posts, read read sobriety stuff, read pod stuff. You know his toolkit. No matter how far you go in the journey, it's about reading. And and that to me, his his first one about the elasticity of the brain, to me was just fantastic because. Um, you know, I've got functional neurological disorder. I've got fibromyalgia. I've got arthritis. Um, but I think a lot of my conditions was caused by me drinking and um, stopping the correct communications between my brain and my body and my speech sometimes, as you will possibly figure out today. Um but I think that actually, you know, now I've stopped drinking, I, you know, a lot of what I have to do is the mindfulness, is the neurological physiotherapy to to retrain um, my nerve pathways. And just reading Todd's first blog just had me in tears and gave me hope. It gave me hope. It gave me faith that and it gave me a pick-me-up to get up there and do my exercises every day because I can do this. You know, I can I can retrain those pathways. Um, I've damaged them from years and years of alcohol, but I'm one of the fortunate ones that, as far as we know, there isn't actually any nerve damage. There is just a communication problem. Um, as the neurologist said, there's not a problem with my hardware, it's my software. 
because there's not a connection. So to read that, to know, and to understand, and again, um, as we were talking earlier about making informed choices about having the knowledge, yeah. um, you know, the, the neurologists and that have told me you can do this. You just have to focus. You know, you can do it. But they didn't tell me why, but I read Todd's blog, and then I understood it. And I knew why. And it was just amazing. Just absolutely. Yeah, it, it's back to what we said. It's all right telling kids, uh, saying, don't just say no. But what are we saying no to? What are, the, what are the consequences of saying no? Will mm. we still have fun? And like you say, uh, retraining the brain. I mean, a lot of the quit lit and I'm dreadful at going down different rabbit holes. A, a word will pop up in something I'm reading and I'm thinking, oh, what's that? And off I go, and I'm down that rabbit hole with that one, and habit loops, um, mm. retraining your brain because you've got your old brain and your new brain, and you have to retrain the new brain. All your survival instincts are in the back, in the old, I call it the back. I just think of it front and back. Front and back, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and when you drink, you suppress your old brain. Because that's where all your instincts are, your survival instincts, and you suppress all that. And you have to retrain your brain um, once you get off the alcohol. You have to retrain the new brain to think in new ways. And another analogy was yesterday, um, I am sober, do Zooms, as we know, and they are great connections because to us, finding that connection is truly the way out of this. Yeah. and one of the guys was saying that, um, and funny enough, we ended up talking about the brain and retraining the brain. And he said he'd spoken with someone who said, imagine it as a super highway and you're a fast car, mm. you know, um, and you've got to slow yourself down. Like you say, you have to concentrate. You have to think before you do it. Mm. same kind of thing you go i suppose you can go from a a fast car to an old jalopy and be like driving miss daisy i suppose yeah i'm I'm getting there and i'm i'm getting there and i'm quite enjoying it actually yeah not walking around at 100 mile an hour and and but what's incredible is that i got that about retraining the brain from a mental health side of thing yeah and looking at the neurons and the connections and that looking at the brain but i didn't not so i didn't get it i didn't um, I probably hadn't thought about it from a connection from with the rest of my body type of thing. It's like I was, you know, although, although I'm a great believer that physical and mental health go hand in hand, when it was coming to the nervous system, I kind of wasn't <laughs> putting the two together. But do you remember the old song, uh, the knee bones connected to the shin bone, all that kind of thing? And now we know that the brain is connected to every part of our body. And... When you drink, so, yeah, you completely froze. Yeah, I could hear you, you froze. Yeah, um, we hiccuped again. I'm sorry, folks. Um, but yeah, I mean, the old song, the, the knee bones connected to the shin bone, the shin bones connected to the ankle bone, and it's the same with the brain. Mm. When you think about it, it what happens up here, we, we do it unconsciously a lot of the time Um, because um, I read an article the one time, if you had to retrain your brain every morning when you got up, you'd be totally exhausted. 
Mm. You know, if you had yeah. to learn how to put your trousers on every morning or you had to learn how to clean your teeth or brush your teeth and things like that. So a lot of things are done automatically because the brain has stored all that information. It, it, it's there. It's, it, yeah. And it's something we don't take any notice of. Um, and that's not anything we have to retrain. But when we come off alcohol, we have to retrain our brain. Um, one of the things that we talk about is being mindful and paying attention. Because if you don't, if you're not mindful and you don't pay attention, that's when you can get your relapses and you can get tripped up and triggered. Um, yeah. So. Um, yeah. I've used quite a lot of mindfulness this week just because I was feeling having that melancholy, really. Um, but it was good just to sit, just to sit with it, um, you know, and just look at what that was about doing doing the Glennon Doyle you know just just tapping into my knowing being still um but I use a lot of lovely mindfulness with that as well you know there's a lot of sort of sitting and looking at the birds feeling the sun on me you know yeah just uh, day by day like you know that thing wake up and smell the coffee you know I was literally smelling the coffee looking at the color of my tea um you know and just uh yeah that's the other thing that that I've also cottoned on to is that I say, you know, a lot. And I just caught myself <laughs> doing it then. So that is one of my things I'm going to try and mindfully stop doing. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know. You know what I mean, like? Yeah. Yeah. But we do, don't they? And um, I think you do things unconsciously. You do, like I said before, you don't even realise you're doing them a lot of the time. It's just automatic. And I think sometimes my brain's getting a bit too old to retrain. Um, but, hey, you can maybe teach old dogs new tricks sometimes. And um, We've got so many beautiful ladies who are using nature mm. yeah. to, to help them through the rough, the tough times. I mean, we had one today who posted an absolutely beautiful picture of her yard. And um, like you, visual, very visual person. And I could just imagine myself sitting amongst her trees with my cup of tea and listening to the birds. Yeah. Um, truly appreciating that now, where I didn't mm. before. It was just, okay, the birds are singing. But now, oh, well, the birds are singing. Uh, yeah. The birds on the feeder, you know, things like that. And it, it, it really is nice. And like I say, Reading Todd's posts, uh, blogs, they are so informative. And like you say, they gave you hope. Mm. And mm. that is something that... Yeah, I, I think you can never have too much. You know, you don't want to flood it. There, there are some days where sometimes, you know, you have to take a bit of a step back. Mm -hmm. But I think on the whole, you know, um, when we look at all the hours we used to sort of drink, spend drinking every day, you know, let, let's, let's spend that amount of time. We deserve that amount of time to work on our sobriety and to get the support for it. Um, and as you say, it's just I, I, every, you know, every post, every blog, every podcast, every ladies group, you're going to get something out of it. And it can be sim as simple as you say, someone's picked posting a picture or a video and you just sort yeah. of it it can transform your morning and your day completely um well, i did a post today um i'll go to it now and 
we talked earlier and sometimes I'll do a post and when I've done it, I think, wow, where did that come from? Where did I get mm. that from? Where did, why did I suddenly think of that? And I tend to, with things like that, I tend to save them because they're meaningful to me. It, and I look, and it's a reflection of where I was at that time, where my mind was at that time. And, yeah. I'm watching my own, and by doing that, I'm watching my own growth which mm. to me is, is, is pretty good. And this is a post, and this is literally a post that I did, and I've just, I suppose you could say I've regurgitated it, but no, I haven't. <laughs> it's a post that's meaningful, and it's a post I put probably about 200 days ago. Wow. Brought it back out again. Mm-hmm. And I've posted this at day one because to us, Letting these people, coming from the future to day zeros, day ones, one week, and letting them know that there is life after alcohol. It's a good life. Yeah. Uh, You can, if you work at it, you can get to this place. And my post today was, you've got got to have faith. And I'm going to read it. And it says, I'm coming to you from day 319 sober. Tomorrow I celebrate my 320. So. Yay! <laughs> um, it has taken me many tries to reach this point, but I really, really wanted this. I hope to never pick up another glass of alcohol until they are putting the lid on my box. Those that know me in this community wouldn't be surprised if I popped back up and said, hang on, I just remembered something. <laughs> In the third act of Swan Lake, (laughs) that's about me, the black swan pulls off a seemingly endless series of turns, bobbing up and down on one pointed foot and spinning around and around and around 32 times. How is this move, which is called a fouette, even possible? Because she worked at it. She wanted it. She nailed it. You're probably sitting reading this saying, what the heck? Usually I'd say, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, the black swan had faith. And I don't mean religious faith. I mean faith in herself, faith in her training. Every time she fell off her blocks or taped up her bloody toes, she dug in and got back up and tried again. She did her fouet again and again until she could be confident in herself. Her faith in herself made her stronger and more confident in what she had practiced and learned with each fall. When you believe in yourself, you have the ability to have and practice faith over fear. What do you fear? Sadness, sickness, being left alone, mental fog, a sad life. What do you want? Happiness, health, better relationships, a peaceful mind, a better life. Then get up and go get it. It's that simple. Don't overthink it. Do it. Go for it. You have nothing to lose and a life to gain. So that was my post today. Yeah. For the day one people. And to me, and I said, sobriety is simple. Yes, we educate ourselves. That's not saying that sobriety isn't simple. That doesn't take away from the fact that sobriety is one conscious decision. Do not pick up a drink. Mm. Boom. That's it. 
you can educate yourself. You can read as many quick lits, go down as many rabbit holes, listen to as many podcasts to get well-informed so that you know that you've got the information there. But at the end of the day, it is simply just don't pick up the first drink. Don't take the first sip. No sippy, no slippy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I might, yeah, that's yours. And mine, mine's not another sip, no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No sippy, no slippy. Um, yeah. Because it, it is simple. It, and sometimes the simplest things are the hardest things to do. Yeah. And, and, they and take... could... Go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say, because your brain for many years has been used to doing that, hasn't it? Been pick, picking up that drink. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I think that sort of don't drink is simple. Just don't pick up that drink. But what isn't so simple is all the emotions that people have to work through yes. that go with it. Yes. So well, you have um, admitted one of them. Um, I've been there and I, I suddenly came to a, you know, we have these light bulb moments, don't we, even Mm. now um and well, every day moment, yeah my light bulb moment was that um people say i'm having a mad day um i'm having a blah day it's an ordinary day it's just that we've never experienced them for a long time <laughs> you know it's not every day is sweetness and light and you know fanfares and all this kind of stuff there are ordinary days where nothing major happens and we just get mm. up in the morning and we plod through the day until we go to bed. That's normal. There are yeah. other people that just do it. Um, and the melancholy, having one of those days where you are really emotional. Um, we're lucky as women. We can sit there and have a good cry. I don't know how guys will deal with melancholy because um, I would tell any guy to go and find a corner and have a good cry and let it out. But mm -hmm. guys, they'll say, I'm not doing that. That's, that's not something I do. So I'm not sure how they would cope with the, because guys get melancholy. It's not just a yeah. thing. They, they need to get untamed and get out of their cage. <laughs> they need <laughs> to find a closet. Yeah, they <laughs> do. Do you know what actually what struck me yesterday was um, obviously it was Prince Philip's funeral yesterday yes. and the Queen was sat completely on her own. Mm -hmm. And I just, uh, for me, it was sad to see her on her own. But the saddest part of that for me was that when were when will they realise, when will people like that and the people, the establishment that control them realise that it is okay to ask for help? Mm -hmm. It is okay to have and need and want support. And it is okay to damn well cry because yes. actually the message that that gives and all the monarchy always give is that those things are not okay and they're our leaders. <laughs> and it's up a lip. It, yeah, but you know, balls to that it is okay to have help you know and, and going back to our our lovely little book of the the boy and the mole you know oh and God, yes. yeah when, when was when are you your bravest when i show when i dare to show my weakness you know what's the bravest thing you ever said help said the yes. boy you know we, we talked <laughs> in many zooms and on the app about vulnerability and brene mm. brown has an amazing book talking about vulnerability. 
because a lot of people view vulnerability as a weakness. It's not because, like you say, if you're asking for help, you're not vulnerable. You're realizing that you can't do this on your own. Mm. You know, I need help. And it's, it's learning to accept help as well. We don't have to be strong 24 hours a day, seven days, no. 52 weeks of the year. There are days where we're allowed to say, fuck it, I don't feel like it today. I'm sorry. You know, mm. call me tomorrow. Yeah. You no, know, um, it's all right to say that. I, I don't want to engage today. There are people that suffer with depression, I understand, and they don't want to engage on a regular basis. But if I was to turn around and say, I'm taking a day off. I'm, I just need me time today. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm depressed or anything like that. It's just that you need to, like you said earlier, step back. Mm. You have to give your mind time to catch up with your body because sometimes their bodies move that fast. Their mind yeah. while to catch up. But um, no, you just need to catch up with yourself sometimes. Yeah. And accept that that's okay on those days, yeah. you know, it's okay. And, yeah. uh, and, and, you know, that's where we do a lot. When we take that time back and start to accept and just be with ourselves, that's when we learn so much more. Um, you know, one of my biggest, yeah, I had May days this week, had a lot of anxiety. I sat with it. You know, I sort of tried to get to the root of it. Um, reading posts helped me to discover, you know, what it was that was, you know, I had sort of some idea. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from that, it was just a great reminder that communication is key, absolutely key. And um, that, you know, it's really, really important for us to say, uh, this is what I'd like to do and let the other person say what they would like to do. And if both of your ideas ideas meet, then fantastic. And if they don't, then that's okay too, you know. But actually keeping quiet and doing what you think the other person wants you to do and not communicating any of that <laughs> gets mm. us going round in circles. And, it's like um, when people say, oh, I don't like what he's doing. And you say, well, did you tell him? Well, no. Then don't no. complain about it. You know, yeah. don't complain about it. Unless you... And I've reached an age, and I suppose I'm a little bold. Old, bold. Old and bold, I say I am. <laughs> the mind like a steel trap. No, I don't say that. <laughs> Uh, we've got um, um, a mantra saying, um, I'm sexy, I'm strong, and I have a mind like a laser. <laughs> so, um, but I say I'm old, I'm bold with a mind like a steel trap. But anyway. Yeah, um, and mine, mine is, I cannot say anything like a laser because my mind is nothing like a laser. So mine is, I'm, I'm, I'm sexy, I'm strong. I get all this bit wrong anyway. I'm sexy, strong or bold or whatever. And I, I am your wonderful dotty pot mind. <laughs> we get forgetful. But people um, and people who, who, who whinge and moan um, about things, did you talk to them? No. Well, what do you expect? What answer do you expect Mm. from me if you haven't spoken to them sort of thing? Um, I think, and maybe in my sobriety, I'm becoming, I keep saying I'm becoming a curmudgeon, but I'm not. I'm I'm just becoming um, an older senior lady who 
I suppose I always wanted to be a um, a bit of a um, a kooky old lady. Yeah. <laughs> Cuckoo, I don't know about kooky. <laughs> I, I think in sobriety we see things more clearly, yes. and we see things. Goals, technical. You, and you can see, and you can look at those loops. You know, those loops that we have in our mind, those loops that play out in society and community. You can yeah. sit back and you can see it all, and you you start to become more assertive. And you start to become more passionate about what you want and where you want your life to be. And you start to make those changes, whereas before we kind of knew they were there, but then we just anesthetized them, you know. Um, whereas now I think it's clearer. And when I'm in doubt, it's a serenity prayer for me. Yes. Every day, just serenity prayer. Just take a breath. And that grant me serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can. And the wisdom to know the difference. I usually say, and the wisdom to know who to slap. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't. Um, I, I do do the. I actually carry the serenity prayer on my key ring. It was mm. given to me um, by a lady in AA many, many years ago, and that is still on my key ring. The serenity prayer. Yeah. So uh, yes. And I did a pod, I did a post once about the serenity prayer and what it my what I see the serenity prayer as mm. what it means to me because it means different things to different people. Yeah, some people they just say it, but I think I think with the serenity prayer you have to look at it in the same way as you tell someone you love them. You don't tell them you love them as just words. You tell someone you love them when you truly mean it. Mean it, yeah. And to me, um, I will say the serenity prayer when it truly means something to me. I'm not mm. just about the words. No. Um, but then that's how I feel about it. No, I'm the same. I'm, it's when I'm at that moment of like, either shouting, screaming, <laughs> going ballistic. And I'm just like, <sighs> just take a breath. And with that, I just do the serenity prayer and look at the acceptance, my boundaries, my area of control. You know, resistance makes things 10 times worse. You know, who's it hurting here? Let's just let it go. And um, I read that's something, that. Yeah, I read something today and it said that um, another way to release things, um, when we're talking about releasing, is to take a glass of water. This may be a bit effeminate for you guys, I'm sorry. Take a glass of water, go outside into the grass barefoot, hold on to the glass and look at it and tell it what you want to release. Then empty the glass onto Mother Earth and release that. Then go back in and get another, fill, refill the glass come back out, stand in the grass, look in the glass and ask it to refill your soul. Oh, wow. Drink the water. Ah, that's nice. I like that. Yeah. So, I mean, I like I, we're, visual, we're visuals. And I, I could see that taking a glass of water and speaking to the, you talk to the glass of water of what you want to release mm. and empty the glass. So yeah, emptying out maybe your emotions who knows yeah one of our lovely ladies said to me one day and I, and I use this quite a bit now um 
which you know because there are so many things out there that we can use and it's finding what's right for yes. you and she said if you're going into a negative situation taking your deep breath but imagine um breathing in all the lovely golden air and sunlight and then when you breathe out blow blow it back out as if it's a protection like a golden orb almost around you and and that really really helps so and it's just another reason why communication is key isn't it that actually yes. we've got different tools we're finding out different ways of coping and um yeah, because I mean, when you do breath work, some some people say, imagine the breath as a colour. Um, mm. Whatever colour goes in, um, a different colour come. Imagine a different colour coming out when you do breath work. And breath work in sobriety is huge. It really is because breath yeah. work gets you through the tough moments. You just yeah. take two or three minutes to just sit somewhere and just breathe. Yeah, and that will get you through the tough times. But yeah. and I think as you said earlier, sort of you know, it's it's not drinking is easy. You just don't pick up that drink. But working on your sobriety can be hard work, and that's why it's really important to connect and yes. and for people to have all the information. We all need information. We all need the information to make informed choices. And um, I just like to say, anyone listening, if you if you would like to. If you have any ideas or any information or any suggestions about sort of, you know, putting together this package for, for teaching kids, then please do email me. I think the email will be on the on the podcast. It'll be on the bottom of yeah, your yeah. yours and my email will be. Yeah. And also any ladies who want to reach out to us. Um if you reach out to us, please let us know your milestone on the I Am Sober app and your I Am Sober name in the email because that would be really helpful for us to connect with you. And we will yeah. put it at the end. Um, I've picked up our book. I don't know if you've got yours handy. Um, yes. I have chosen for today, we are reading little snippets out of The Boy, The Mole, The Fox and The Horse. It's not geared to sobriety, but every page, it doesn't matter where you open this book, you can find something that relates Right, we're going to read a page each, are we? Yes, I have got this one. Isn't it odd? We can only see our outsides, but nearly everything happens on the inside. Yeah, love that. Yes, definitely. Yeah, and so I've just opened it up to one of my favourite, or every page is my favourite, really. What do we do when our hearts hurt, asked the boy. We wrap them with friendship, shared tears and time, Till they wake hopeful and happy again. Well, we will hopefully wake happy and hopeful again. <laughs> yeah. And we will meet you because it's time for us to get off the train before they throw us off. As we can't we? But anyway, thank you guys for listening to Karina and I. Um, if you get the opportunity, please go to the SoberTownPodcast.com, look at the blogs, read the Wall of Fame, and check out the podcast. These are real people telling how they fell into dependency and how they have climbed their way back out. Because it's a climb, it's not easy, and it's very vulnerable to share for everybody to hear because none of us want to feel that we're less than. And these people are never less than. These are powerful, strong people. 
everyone who shares. So thank you for listening to Karina and I, and we will definitely ride the train again. And we will ride this train into the wonderful world of sobriety. We will see you again soon.